This is Infrastructure Junkies. Welcome, Infrastructure Junkies, to your show. This is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. The Infrastructure Junkies podcast is the voice of the right-of-way industry, exploring eminent domain, right-of-way acquisition, and infrastructure development. All right, Infrastructure Junkies, today's topic, the aftermath of canceled or abandoned right-of-way projects. And we see this more often than we would like to. We are portrayed, we in the right-of-way industry, representing the agencies, are portrayed as the bad guy for having been a part of the project, and then somehow it's my fault when it gets abandoned. We have with us today somebody who knows the ins and outs and has been following it much more closely than I have, our good friend, Anthony Della Pelle. That's fun to say, Della Pelle, an attorney from New Jersey, is going to join us today. Anthony is a shareholder in the law firm of McCurdy, Riskin, Olson, and Della Pelle PC in Morris Plains, New Jersey. Fun fact, I lived in Morris Plains for about six months when my father was assigned to the Newark office, FBI office. He's a certified trial attorney with the New Jersey Supreme Court. He's represented property owners in eminent domain, redevelopment, and real estate tax appeal matters for more than 35 years. Tony is the sole New Jersey attorney elected to Owners Council of America. And that's the organization which has been keeping our taxes high for over 20 years. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Tony. He (laughs) received his BA in economics and English from Franklin and Marshall College, his JD degree from Seton Hall University School of Law. And Tony and one of his colleagues co-wrote an article which was the inspiration of this episode, which appeared in the Right-of-Way magazine in July and August of 2022. So what we want to talk about are abandoned or canceled right-of-way projects and the effects of those. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to be with you both. We're happy to have you. And you're an infrastructure junkie with us, aren't you? A listener of the show? I'm a big fan, and I've been involved on both sides of infrastructure projects, so I can provide some interesting insights for the rest of the audience. Would you say your full name for me, please? Including my middle name? Yes, sure. Oh, An- Anthony Frank, and because I'm here in New Jersey, I would say Della Pell, but in Europe, we say Della Pelle. Dave was correct. Okay, well, that's what we were talking about. I was like, I just imagine you walking into a family reunion and everybody going, oh, it's a Tony Della Pelle. It's so much fun to say. That's right. But our Americanization of the name was to chop off the E in pronouncing it. My grandparents did that. But when I go there, and I have, it's Della Pelle. Oh, I like with the accent even. I love it. I love it. Well, Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad we got that out of the way. As everybody knows, Kristen and I are both south of the Mason-Dixon line. I'm in Virginia, and she hails from Texas, and we don't talk to that many people from the Northeast, so this will be an interesting cultural discussion, and maybe we'll have a a, uh, surprise discussion about Tony Soprano or something of the ilk. Stay tuned. I love it. (laughs) Stay tuned. So, Tony, canceled or abandoned right-of-way projects... I don't really like to use the word abandoned. That makes it sound like it just has a dirtier intonation to it than sometimes what is intended. Let's start with a discussion of takings and the use of quick take power and then subsequently of what you call as abandonment. I would prefer to call it cancellation, but we can have that debate as well. 
So uh, I refer to it as abandonment because that's what's in my statutes here in New Jersey. Right. That's the word that's used most commonly. And it really just reflects the condemnor's intention to abandon the project, which could be canceled for a variety of reasons. But one of the things that I think is most important about that event or series of events is when it happens in relation to whether the taking has occurred. So both at the state level in most states and certainly at the federal level with a lot of these pipeline projects that are undertaken in federal court using the Natural Gas Act to get jurisdiction, whether there's a taking or not depends upon what law applies and what has happened. So that's the first thing to look at because the impacts of walking away from a project are different based upon whether or not the condemning agency has or has not taken the properties. And in some cases, whether they have or haven't exercised possessory rights and started construction on some things, because that's happened too. Preliminary question. I am aware of several major pipeline projects which were canceled. And I won't steal your thunder because I know we're going to talk about that. In Virginia, I'm aware of a major highway project which was canceled. And I'm trying to think if I'm familiar with any power line, but does it depend on the type of infrastructure project as to what the impact is or what the aftermath is, which you call it an aftermath, in the wake of a canceled project? I don't believe so, Dave. I think what matters is whether or not there has been a ticking because the condemnation case is just a case which allows the government to take the property. It doesn't constitute the taking. So if there is a condemnation case or cases filed, but no takings have occurred, what happens if that project is canceled or abandoned is different than if there has been a taking. So well, go ahead, Kristen. It looks we, like you were about to Yeah, I, I want to know a little more about that because I read your article and I kind of know the answer to this based on the article. But I want to talk about if there hasn't been a take, if the condemning authority doesn't have possession and then it's canceled, that seems to me like it's like, okay, never mind. Like nothing's really happened. So we'll rescind the offer or stop proceedings. What happens if there hasn't been a take? and the project is canceled. That seems like the simpler out. Well, think about it from the property owner's perspective, just for a minute, because they have likely retained counsel and spent money and may have actually gone and undertaken efforts to mitigate impacts from a taking by buying other property or Mm -hmm. doing other things related to the taking. And those expenses are typically going to be reimbursed. We have seen cases where expense reimbursement requests are made and those are not favorably reviewed by the court. So people are still out of pocket. Wearing my property owner attorney hat, those are the kinds of things that we think shouldn't be visited upon the, the owners at all. Sure. And whether it's justified or not, or whether there are political reasons or not, if a project is started and then it's stopped or withdrawn or canceled or abandoned, the people who are in the line of that project should be made whole, just like they are supposed to be made whole if there was a taking. And that's one of the things that we try to look for and make sure happens. And so, I'm so I'm so sorry, just one more question. So that kind of thing, the attorney fees or whatever the landowner has incurred because of the project that's now canceled, that's compensable under what? Like, how do we, how do you pay for that? So it depends where the case is venued and and what jurisdiction it has. So in in New Jersey, we have a statute that provides property owners with rights if there are cancellations or abandonments of projects. Mm. If the case is in federal court, there will be provisions under the federal rules of civil procedure, which govern what you can and can't get in the way of damages. Um, And sometimes damages are limited to out-of-pocket expenses. Other times they can be broader than that. We've had and seen projects where there actually has been what we would call a temporary taking by virtue of some of the actions that have been undertaken 
by the condemning agency? What if they start drilling holes, due diligence to find out how deep they've got to go to build something and they don't repair that? In my state of New Jersey, the condemning agency has the right to come on the property to do those kinds of tests and to do pretty extensive intrusive tests before they take the property. As a property owner's lawyer, I deal with that all the time, but I've also gotten orders for condemning agencies where in one case, the town took a farm to preserve it and there was a dump in the middle of the farm and they needed to know, the town needed to know before they get their funding from the state government to preserve that piece of land, whether that dump had a level of contamination in it that would make it inappropriate to preserve a federal fund. So I, I got a backhoe out there and dug 10 foot diameter test pits around the farm to find out where it was going. What happens if they don't take the property? Do you restore that property? What if you destroyed some personality there? Don't you have an obligation to compensate someone for that? Those yes. are the kinds of things that we think about. It, it, and it, I think it would too, obviously, if you're involved on the other side. Of course, but there's a difference in what's fair and what we can do. And as somebody who does relocation, there's a lot of times I'm like, I know it's not fair, but I don't have, I can't do these things for you. Well, I want to explore this, but before we get there, I've got another question. Just a basic one. I asked you whether there was a difference when a project is canceled or abandoned, depending on the type of infrastructure, whether it's air, rail, road, electricity, pipeline, et cetera. But we have two different types of take where I operate a quick take and a slow take. And the quick take, at least in Virginia, the commissioner of highways will file a certificate of take. It's, it is the legal transfer of real estate. And when that is recorded in the land records, the Commonwealth owns that property that day. And then it's just a matter of fighting over what just compensation is. And then on a slow take... It's, the same for us. it's essentially the same for us in our state, Dave. Okay. But a slow take, you've got to file the suit... And you do not own that property. Right. And we've done that for power lines and airports. We've done it for both of those down here. Is there a distinction there if the project is abandoned? Suppose you file 10 certificates of take and then you abandon the project versus you file 10 petitions for condemnation in a slow take, but you don't own it yet. But, and then you quit halfway through litigation. So I think it's going to depend upon what state you're in. But just as an example, in New Jersey, a public utility can't do a quick take. Cannot. If we're going to talk about Penn East, which I think we should, just one of the things that that involved was a challenge by the property owners to the pipeline company's quick take power in federal court because we knew that under state law in New Jersey, they wouldn't have quick take power. That was what was going on at the trial court in the U.S. District Court in Penn East. We represented a lot of those property owners and challenge the quick take power of the pipeline company in federal court because they wouldn't have it in state court. And the way I under, always understood jurisdictional issues in takings in federal court was that if there wasn't a federal party that you're supposed to use substantive state law, <laughs> and we argued that and lost. We, we said substantive state law shouldn't allow pennies to have the quick take power. The district court said, sorry, you lose. That decision was ultimately reversed in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, and then the Supreme Court reversed that mm -hmm. on other grounds, which we can talk about. But what I want to know is, you wearing your landowner attorney hat is a... Is that the white one or the... No, that's the, the black hat. That's the black hat, Tony. <laughs> Keeping taxes high for over 20 years. That's Tony Delapelle. You don't have to take this abuse, Tony. <laughs> yeah. so I love it. But what, but what I want to know, what I want to know is when you're representing a landowner on a project, is it 
and let's and the project's either going to be canceled or abandoned. Is it worse if it's a quick take project versus a slow take project? Is there a worse aftermath in one instance versus the other? In my experience, it's harder to recover damages if it's a slow take. Hmm. You're more limited in the scope of compensable claims that can be awarded by a court. I think practically it's it may be harder in a quick take because more has happened. And to undo what might have happened physically at the ground level is more difficult and requires more effort. So I don't know that either way is better right. or worse. I think that there are problems associated with both. It's easier to get damages and more damages when there's a quick than a slow take, but there are more things to deal with. So in this situation, like you're talking about the farm with the getting the backhoe out there and digging all these holes, if they didn't fix that and they move along and then this landowner has got all these holes on their property, is this like an inverse condemnation situation? Like, is there some something that's done on the back end there? It's a great question. It could be. My preliminary entry statute in New Jersey's Eminent Domain Act actually provides statutory relief if they don't, within two years, take the property, that they then have to fix it. So I, it could be an inverse. It also could be a situation where we go in under the Eminent Domain Act and ask for those expenses in New Jersey. But what happens if a year and a half goes by and you're still living there at your home and they brought the back out and they dug up your backyard and they only have to put it back the way it was two years later, but it's a year and a half while they're dealing with any administrative issues to make their decision as to whether they want to take the property. You have to live with that. Meanwhile, their, their, their cow has fallen in there and died. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's more than right. just having a hole on the property, I'm sure. But you got a swimming pool, a mud hole that you didn't want. Yeah. Right. And they don't have to fix it right away. Some do and will because they think it's the right thing to do, but they're not under any obligation to do it. And then whether that becomes an inverse condemnation or not is another issue, which I think is a really interesting one. Well, Tony, yeah. that's not a mud hole. That's a catfish pond. You're welcome. We've enhanced your property. <laughs> Have a nice day. All right. Oh, boy. I want to get into the next topic, and I think that we're going to joust on this a little bit, if you don't Go mind. Because as the listeners know, I've never represented a landowner. Tony at least has done both sides, but he focuses on landowners now as a member of OCA, keeping your taxes high for 20 years. So reasons, Not gonna drop that one. <laughs> reasons for abandonment, okay? I have a very some very strong feelings on this, as I know you do. Is there ever a good reason to abandon or cancel a project from your perspective as owner's counsel? Sure. There are, there are plenty of good reasons. Who it's good for is really, I think, the question. What if the government can't afford it? What if they've planned a project and decided that it should go forward. And then when they get into the nitty gritty details of what it might cost, they realize they can't afford it. If they do, it's going to cause other consequences to the public that's paying for that. I think that's a good reason. Okay. Let's delve into that one because this is the point in the conversation where I you're going to hang up. I got a real life example up. of it. You're going to yeah, hang up. I got a real life example of it. Okay. Hold on. To me, that is a piss poor excuse to abandon a project because you should have factored in the cost. If you've done what you're supposed to do, if, if you, the agency, have done your due diligence, you should have considered the costs and either you have the money for it or you don't. Now, there's a mitigating factor there. But my feeling is that these projects get out of control on costs, not because the agency didn't do their due diligence, but because sometimes landowner attorneys and those interests get involved and drive the cost of the project up. 
or they mobilize politicians or the media or whatever and put such pressure on the project, that's what gets the expenses out of control. So Dave, first of all, I'll say that not every government agency is going to hire someone as good as you who's going to guide them through the process that way so they understand everything that lies ahead. And sometimes they do it with blinders on. Yeah, I know. And then they find themselves in a predicament that could involve political issues. It might or might not. But we had a program here, just to give you an example. I do have a specific instance, but this is a bigger one that might make more sense in response to your question. It was called the New Jersey Schools Construction Corporation. And we passed a referendum uh, which got essentially into our constitution that said that we needed to find ways to help our needy school districts in the urban areas. And we created a $9 billion fund to build new schools around New Jersey in a lot of the urban, older urban areas where people needed better school opportunities than the public schools were providing. Right. The $9 billion program called for, I'll say, about four or 500 new schools to be built around the state of New Jersey. Do you know how many of those got built? I think 50. And do you know how much of the $9 billion was left when they realized that they'd only gotten to about 50 schools? Uh Zero. So the problem was that the planning, the due diligence, the payments to the consultants, and then the spending on the projects that they actually built went so over budget that the program got the plug pulled out of it. And there were plenty of people that including clients of ours that had their properties either that had been taken, that they didn't go forward with construction and the project was abandoned, or they were just in the line of fire knowing that there was a plan to take these old, smaller homes in cities like North New Jersey, take a bunch of them, amass a city block and build a new school. And they couldn't find tenants if they were rental properties because the wrecking ball was coming. And then all of a sudden the project doesn't happen. So these things can happen and do, and I think there are a lot of different reasons in addition to the ones that you mentioned at a minimum. Well, okay, and let's focus for a second on politics. I think I brought this up, and <laughs> that's a double-edged sword, and it can swing in either direction. Yeah. And for instance, I think that sometimes politics is the reason an agency will rush into a project, right? because of political pressure without probably have done their due diligence, maybe checking with the Army Corps of Engineers or doing some environmental studies or something like that. And then politics can also swing the other way. If it turns out that the project is expensive and is not really going to help the general public or there's a public outroar, politics can swing right back the other way to help to shut it down. So it can cause us to rush in. It can also cause us to rush out. Keystone Pipeline is a perfect example of that. Mm. I was in Washington, D.C. in 2009, I believe, and there were protests on the lawn of the White House to the Obama administration about whether that project should go forward or not. It was red-lighted in the Obama administration. And then when Trump succeeded in his election, the project got green-lighted, right? And then Biden became president, and he issues an executive order killing the project after there had been so many lawsuits at so many different levels involving the project. They acquired most of that right of way. Jeez. And then the pen of the executive, and I'm not saying I'm on one side or the other, I'm just saying that, that shows the pendulum, how it went back and forth and back on a massive project 
that had political implications that were to the advantage disadvantage of the party in, in, in office at the time. And you mentioned Keystone in your article in the Rideway magazine as well, but what, so key, who owns the, all that, all that Rideway that was bought by Keystone, does Keystone still own it? What happens to it? Can they use it for something else? Can they sell it? I think they own a lot of it. It depends upon the nature of the agreements that they made. If they bought it consensually, if they took it, then the abandonment or cancellation laws would apply to those properties and they span four or five states. So I know that there were a lot of challenges in Nebraska and I think in Kansas, but earlier efforts on the project have been done without as much controversy or litigation. So they probably have a lot of right away that they bought and those agreements should govern what happens if they don't build the project. They might just own that right away and never get to use it. Wow. Well, I have a question. Does it, we talked about like sometimes things get canceled because of funding, right? We have this new EJA infrastructure bill with gazillions of dollars pouring into this. Are there is there a chance that some of these projects that have been canceled because of funding will be uncanceled? Or are they like, no, it's like Bill Cosby, like you're canceled for good? No, I think so. I have right away road right away projects that have been on the books here for decades in New Jersey. And I don't know that they were ever canceled, but we knew they were never going to happen. And now if there's some funding that we didn't expect, why not revive it? If you have a public purpose, you can take it. Right. right. Tony, I want to go back to Keystone real quick, and I want to be very frank with all the listeners. As much as I love right-of-way, as soon as something becomes political, I tune out. Can't stand it. And I think people take artificial positions to support political agendas. And so I tuned out of Keystone. Can you explain, like, what was the what's the controversy behind that project? What... What, why was it getting red-lighted, then green-lighted, and then revoked by Biden? What was the political dividing line there? I don't know. I think there were three issues that were at play in all of the different administrations. One was Keystone is not a United States corporation. It's a foreign corporation based in Canada. And whether it was right or wrong politically to allow a foreign company to take American private property was always a hot-button issue. That's one. Second is the taking areas, at least in the Great Plains, involved areas that were alleged to involve important aquifers that the takings could disrupt and could affect farming operations. And that obviously can involve some political issues and outcomes because of the nature of the farm lobbies. And then the third one had to do with, my understanding is that there were some areas that could have also involved Native American property rights. And just think about the optics of that. You have a, it's bad enough in the eyes of some that American companies, private companies can take privately owned land, right? I mean, I have it in New Jersey all the time with our rede local redevelopment work where it's for profit, which is a whole nother issue. But to think about the fact that a foreign corporation could not only take American property, but might be able to take Native American property rights. That was another one. So it was really tangled web, Dave. And I think a lot of that stuff is the reason why I mean, I've been doing this a long time, right. a little bit longer than you, I think. I never thought that eminent domain issues would be on the front page of the news or at the top of the news hour. The Kilo case did change that quite a bit and made it much more social coffee time conversation. And I think that Keystone came just after Kilo so it was in people's minds, even though it's a different kind of a taking and a different setting with different laws. Yeah. And, you know, 
I'm, I'm glad you explained that. That's really compelling to me, is even though Canadians are wonderful allies and neighbors, allowing a foreign company to acquire American property by eminent domain, what if next time it's the Russians or somebody else? And are you, should you be discriminating as to who you're allowing to do it? Let's just not allow anybody to do it. Right. That's kind of where I wind up on it. I, but I really appreciate that explanation. Infrastructure junkies, thank you so much for tuning in to another show. I wanted to let you know that this particular episode is generously sponsored by Blackbird Right-of-Way. They're a DBE-certified, women-owned right-of-way company. Now, while Blackbird is a full-service company, it's best known for its expertise in complex relocations. As you already know, taking classes or even getting a certification is no substitute for boots-on-the-ground experience. Kristen Bennett and her team have just that. Experience with almost any type of relocation conceivable. They'll do one parcel all the way up to 100 anywhere in the United States. Look them up at blackbirdrightofway.com and make them a part of your team. That's blackbirdrightofway.com. Hey, infrastructure junkies. We hope you're enjoying this show. Do us a favor, go to our brand new website, infrastructurejunkies.com. While you're there, sign up to be on our mailing list. That way you can stay up to date with what we've got going on. Also, you can follow us on all the socials. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and we even have a TikTok. So go follow us there. And then while you're on our website, check out our exclusive content. If you subscribe, you will get access to our brand new weekly podcast called Infrastructure Junkies Unfiltered, where you never know what's going to come out of our mouths. In addition, you can get access to video footage of this podcast. So go check it out. I think Kristen has something for you. Oh, I do. Do you want to play a game? Sometimes we lighten things up here on Infrastructure Junkies. Are you in? I'm in. You don't even know what the game is yet. This is fun. It doesn't matter. I'll okay, play. good. All right. So we're going to play over under push. You're a listener, so you know how that goes. We're going to give you three things that are all in the same kind of genre or theme. And then you're going to tell us whether they are overrated underrated, or it's just a push, aptly rated, okay? And then I will be the sole judge of whether or not your opinions are correct. Does that sound like super fun to you? Super fun and eminently fair. Eminently fair, (laughs) yes. So today, since you're from New Jersey, it's all about things from the South. Makes sense, right? Okay, so here, I'm going to tell you the three things, and we'll go through them individually. Number one, collard greens. Number two, gone with the wind. And number three, Sweet Home Alabama, the song, not the movie. Are you prepared? Okay. Yes. Okay, let's go to the first one, collard greens. Over, under, or it's a push? Under. Yes. Oh, correct. Yep. Ding, 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 ding. He's You're, off to a great start for a guy from love, New Jersey. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Now, Definitely can, underrated. Can you get some good collard greens in New Jersey? Sure. Okay. We well, can get anything here. That's probably that's true. true. That's true. We don't grow it here, but we can get it here. There so. you go. There you go. Well, if you want the best collard greens, you should go to my mom's house because she makes really good collard greens. I'll let you know next time I'm in town. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right, number two, Gone with the Wind. Overrated, underrated, or it's a push? I'm going to say overrated. You are two for two, and I thought I was going to get some. I thought I was going to have to disagree with you on that. I Yep, it's too long. It's just too long. That's pretty much it. 
Yeah, it's the way I feel. Okay, Sweet Home Alabama. Overrated, underrated, or it's a push? Turn it up. Now, am I supposed to have one of each answer here? No, you or can. Does nope. that not matter? Doesn't matter. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say overrated. Oh, what? my gosh. You're, he's correct. You are no. three for three. Sweet no, Home Alabama? Wrong. Oh, you write that song. Let's see you write it. Well, I was in a sorority, and we used to sing Sweet Home Capagama during Rush. So maybe I got tired of it. <laughs> Okay. All right. Good job. Good, hey, three good for three. Stuff. Yeah. You I'd, won. You did Thank win. You. I never would have expected some, that. Some colored greens. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Okay. Tony. <laughs> but I can't listen to Sweet Home Alabama while I'm eating them. Nobody can. <laughs> if we could, let's return to, we talked about Keystone. Let's talk about other projects which have been abandoned or canceled in recent memory. Atlantic Coast pipeline that came right through the heart of my state into my backyard in southeastern virginia huge project let's talk a little bit about that so that yeah that's a that's another gas pipeline that had a lot of momentum and i think it was in the works for about five years it was reported that once they realized how much it was going to cost over that course of time that they didn't think they could make the pipeline work so it was canceled. And I don't know how a public utility company can make that kind of a decision that far in, into the game. It's kind of consistent with your comment earlier. I, I think they might underestimate what the construction costs may be, or maybe they're going to go up significantly because of a variety of factors over time. They might underestimate the cost of the right-of-way acquisition yeah. or both, a combination of both. But at the end of the day, one of the things about utility projects that I always recognized and that made them different was that they had the ability through rate increases to finance whatever they had to. Maybe they didn't think that they people would want to buy the gas if it cost too much and that's why they canceled it. But I, I was surprised at that one. I didn't expect it to happen. I have a theory. Like most of my theories, it's maybe harebrained. But for those that don't know, Atlantic Coast Pipeline began in West Virginia, is that where it started? So, yeah. Came down right. through Virginia, capped off Came over in southeastern, then went to North Carolina. And it was heavily backed by Dominion Energy. They were one of the primary partners in it, who is our energy company in Virginia. And my observation is that publicly traded energy companies, even though they will use eminent domain, like to be portrayed as the good guy. They don't like negative publicity. And that thing generated so much negative publicity. And there were guys like you, some of your counterparts in Virginia, who were fighting and fighting out in the western part of the state. I'm not sure it was a money issue. I think it might have been a publicity issue or just... And so that begs the question, does whether the condemning agency, whether it's publicly traded or not, ever come into play on whether they'll proceed with something? I think it's inescapable that that may have a bearing on it because if the shareholders are going to lose money, they can direct the officers of the company to do or not do certain things, right? They have control over it. So yeah. it's in some ways that issue is analogous to what we face here in New Jersey with our redevelopment projects where there is a private developer who's paying for a taking who doesn't necessarily want it to go forward unless they can make a profit. That's mm -hmm. why they're doing it. They're taking an underutilized property from someone that owns it and trying to make a profit off it. So it's natural for them to want to pay less so they can make more. Right. I do think that the issue of a publicly traded utility company is analogous in that regard, that it's different than when the Department of Transportation is going to build a highway and has cost overruns. 
they still need the highway. They're still going to build it. Yeah, maybe they don't want to overpay, but they still have to build the highway no matter what it costs, and they find a way to deal with it. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, like you, I was stunned that it was canceled because they were so far along. They were so, I think they were cutting down trees and laying pipes out in Western Virginia. And they're like, well, yeah. we're canceling it. Oh my gosh. Right. So think about the consequences, the fallout from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mind blowing to think about, especially where they were and what, how they changed the nature of the land. If they have the right to take the property and they're going to change it. That's okay. I get that. I'm not critical of that, but I'm just saying if you then walk away, now you might've changed something forever. And that was one of the things that was at play in the opposition on the Penn East project as well. Okay. So I'd like to do two things. Number one, let's talk about any other major projects which were canceled, which you think are, are important here. And then after that, I'd like to turn the conversation to what the ramifications are of a canceled or abandoned project, both what they are and then what they should be. Like how should, I don't care what the law says, what should happen in the wake of an abandoned project. So any other important ones you want to discuss? Yeah, I'll just talk briefly about two. One is one that I've mentioned. So Penny, so we were involved there. We represented a few dozen property owners. That project started in upstate New York, came through Pennsylvania into New Jersey, and then was going to leave through the refineries near our coast. And we objected to the right to take on the basis that, as I said earlier, we didn't believe that the federal legislation gave that pipeline company the right to quick take power because of our state law. And we lost. And then there was also, it was the first time in my career that I was in a courtroom with about 50 or 60 different lawyers representing different parties. The last party to speak on behalf of the property owners was a deputy attorney general for the state of New Jersey who got up and said that eminent domain is the most awesome power of government and it can't be abused. And they owned property and their property couldn't be taken by this private corporation, the state of New Jersey's property. Okay. They lost, mm. by the way. Mm -hmm. They said there's this thing called the 11th Amendment, which says that you can't sue us, the state of New Jersey, in federal court. And they lost at the U.S. District Court level. They appealed it to the Third Circuit. We did not, our clients did not appeal, and they won. And then the pipeline company took that decision from the Third Circuit, went to the Supreme Court. And they got it reversed. So they got to build their project. And then two weeks later, I got a call from the lawyer who was representing the pipeline company on both New Jersey and Pennsylvania sides of the project. And he said, you'll never guess what happened. They're pulling the project. Oh. It's gone. Oh. So we need to figure out what happens with your clients because they, remember, we oppose quick take. Right. We said, you can't come on and start bringing your bulldozers and cutting down trees digging, drilling, all those things. The federal court essentially gave them quick take power and gave them injunctive relief. They were on some of these properties and now they pull off. So we had to work that out and figure out what does that mean? What kinds of damages do we get? Knowing that as we go back to the earlier discussion with Kristen, I think the scope of damages is greater when there is a quick take than when there's not. So we've wound those up. I think there's one or two left. They're not our cases, but we've resolved all of those. A, a shock. Two weeks after you, you went big, get a big win from the biggest court in the country, you decide you're not going to go forward with it. Something else is at play there, and it was a, more of a shock to us than Atlantic Coast because we were involved in it. Yeah. So that's one. The next one is a little different because it involved a tunnel under the Hudson River that was supposed to take some trains from New Jersey to Penn Station in, in midtown Manhattan. 
because the, the ones that we use now are really old and falling apart and dangerous. That project was on the books just before the, the years before the recession. Let's say it was planned in the late 90s, started to come to fruition around 2000, 2003, 5, 6. We had a Democratic governor at the time, and he championed this as being great for our economy because we needed to get our commuters in and out of New York right away. So he lost his election in 2009 to a Republican governor named Chris Christie. And one of Christie's campaign issues and platforms was, we don't have any money in our state, and I'm going to fix the budget by correcting all this overspending by the prior administration. He ran on that platform saying, they're spending your money, voters. So he did a kind of a top-to-bottom review of all the projects that were out there, which included infrastructure projects. And he canceled the what's called the ARC Tunnel, access to the region's core, executive order, pend it, no more in 2010. That project had hundreds of -of right-of-way acquisitions that had already occurred in New Jersey. I had one in particular that was right where the tunnel was going to actually start to be dug into the cliffs. The western part of the project was above grade, and then they had a drill, and there happened to be a self-storage warehouse on a state highway that was a total taking, was my case. They did quick take there. They put their money in court, which is the other thing you have to do in New Jersey in addition to filing that certificate or declaration of taking. The case hadn't gone to trial yet because it takes time to go to trial. And now the project is canceled and the warehouse is still up and they want it. It's a publicly traded company that owns it. So I go into court and I said to the judge, I made a motion to vacate the judgment, final judgment of condemnation, which happens early in the condemnation process in New Jersey. It's a final judgment. I make a motion to vacate it. The judge looks at my adversary and says, hey, he's got a point. The project's canceled. You don't need the property anymore. So my adversary begged for time. He gave him some time. We wrote briefs and went back and argued it. And guess what the judge did? I'm asking, do you think the judge allowed the government to keep the property or gave it back? I hope he gave it back. Nope. What? Oh. The judge said that the law in New Jersey was, is, holds that at the time of the taking, there needed to be a valid public purpose. There was. Yeah. Uh-huh. Therefore, it then became their property and they didn't need to fulfill that purpose two or three years later anymore. They got to keep it. Fast Whoa. forward, that's 2000 and. 11 or 12 that I'm in court. It got canceled in 2010. Fast forward, that project is now on the books again. It's called something else. The formula for funding is different so that New Jersey doesn't have to pay more than its fair share, according to the news reports. So that it turns out they need it anyway, but the client lost the right to keep that property. Oh my gosh. um, We had a damage claim and we actually got a just compensation where I had a jury trial on that case. And the jury was looking at this, knowing that the state had canceled the project, but the government still had to pay for it. Don't you think that psychologically that might have affected the jury's minds as to the outcome in one direction or another? Yep. Sure. Widely publicized cancellation of a project and they're still going to pay this property owner for it. It just didn't make sense to me, but that was a really cool one and interesting one. Well, you brought up the Chris Christie thing and on this call, I mean, we've talked about like Obama green lighted something and then Trump red lighted it and then Biden. Yeah. Sorry. I did that backwards. And then we've got Chris Christie with the stroke of a pen canceling the arc projects that was called ARC. So when a project gets really political and there's optics that it's bad or good or whatever, based on your political leanings, is it that easy that like Chris Christie can just be like, Nope, it's just the stroke of a pen of one guy in office. And then it's done. Isn't that kind of scary? 
It is, and that's a whole nother discussion because it talks about the what the limits of the executive powers are should be as compared to whether there's a legislative yeah. control over that. But it happened with Keystone. It happened with the Arc Tunnel at the state level, and it can happen again. Oh, really that's can. scary. Well, since I'm so scared, let's do another fun game, okay? Sure. We're going to play Riddle Me This. Okay, so Riddle Me This is where I'm going to ask you a very important question that's on my mind, and I just need you to give me the answer to it and just kind of solve it for me, and then we'll figure out again if you were right or wrong in your answer, okay? So Riddle Me This, Mr. New Jersey. Let's talk about Tony Soprano for a second, okay? Tony Soprano, who is... He's fat, okay? He's bald. He has a bit of a speech impediment, a little bit of a lispy thing going on. He's a maniac, a misogynistic murderer. He's a horrible person in pretty much every single way. Why do I find him to be extremely sexy? <laughs> like, help me out. Riddle, riddle me this. Why is Tony Soprano sexy when he's like the antithesis of anything that's good on this earth? I think there are two reasons. Number one, he's real. Even though it's a fictional character, he's real. And the other, he's dangerous. And I think that that can be part of the reason. <laughs> By the way, I have a case right now involving the property that is shown at the beginning of the Sopranos <gasps> episode. Really? Every, oh yeah, it's a garbage transfer station when in you, Jersey City. When you walk up to it, do you hear, woke up this morning? Yes, I do. <laughs> do you play yeah. it on the way? There, there have been news articles that suggest that Jimmy Hoffa is buried on this property. Probably take your shovel out there. I don't know, but get, get that backhoe like. from the farm. <laughs> That's start right. looking, start looking. Okay. Well, well thanks that, for playing. But the third reason could be because Kristen's a maniac and maybe a psycho or so. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Right. <laughs> so we've only got a few minutes left and I do want to get back to the, what I had introduced before is like if a project is canceled or abandoned and Tony, I'm going to be very clear. I have, strong feelings about this and I am very hard on the folks that I work for uh, on my side of the fence. I think they got to do their due diligence and they should never even think the words eminent domain unless they're ready to use it and unless they're ready to finish the project because to me it just smacks of I don't want to say irresponsibility but it's so disruptive and it's so damaging can be economically damaging, it can be personally damaging. It, you can ruin people's lives and then just be like, "Well, just kidding. So I want to talk about what, what are the ramifications? Like if you can just give me a thumbnail and I realize it's going to vary from state to state and statute to statute, but kind of a, a tree top it for me. Usually what happens if a project is canceled or abandoned? Well, I think what happens will depend upon where the project lies in its uh, progress. Is it in court or out of court? Are they just negotiating rights of way at that point? And if so, then you either have agreements with uh, property owners or you don't. And if you have agreements, the agreements, at least in my viewpoint now, having been through this several times, is I'm making sure if my clients want to enter into an agreement to voluntarily sell fee interest or easement interest to a condemning agency, I want to have language in there that says what happens if the project doesn't go forward, because most courts will honor that language um, and enforce it. So we're looking, just it's not a secret, we're looking to make sure that all their expenses are going to be compensated. We might want some other damages. You know, what if they think about this? What if it's a, a large property that could have been developed with some kind of real estate? And at the time that the uh, condemning agency first came around, 
the market was hot. And now three or four years later, the market has collapsed and they don't have something as valuable. Do you get damages representing a loss in value? Well, whether you do absent any language in an agreement or not is one thing, but if I could get that in the agreement, then I've done a good job for my clients. So first I would say be more mindful on both sides of this issue of the language in the right-of-way agreements that you enter into. I also believe that one of the uh, critical issues is whether the property is going to change in character in any way by virtue of the actions of the condemning agency, whether it be just testing, like we mentioned with the test pits or actually starting construction, that has immense ramifications on what happens if the project goes away. Because now they got to come back and take the stuff out or do they leave it there? And do you live with that? What if you had a farm and now there's a trench in it that has a three foot pipe in it that's not going to receive natural gas? Does that change that property's character permanently? Mm. It may, you know, yeah. we can argue both sides of that and it'll be fun. But so I, yeah, the first thing is, do you have an agreement or not? The second thing is what happens if the physical property has been disturbed in any way? And then at the end of the day, I think that both parties have to recognize that you own real estate, someone wants to take it, some entity wants to take it. Let's assume they have the right to take it and that's not a, something that can be changed in any way. The goal of that proceeding, at least as I understand this law, having done it for a long time now, is that you're supposed to spread the burden by making the public pay for what's good for the public. Right. That's why the government or the condemning agency has to pay what we call just compensation to make the owner whole because you don't want them to pay for it. You want everyone to pay for it. Shouldn't the same concept apply if the project doesn't go forward because you have temporarily essentially done something which is either a taking or is akin to a taking? In federal court, if there's a quick take and then they abandon, it actually proceeds to a just compensation determination for a temporary taking. Mm -hmm. That's the way that the statute and the rule reads. Okay, so I think that the federal law contemplates that situation, that, that those actions can actually constitute a temporary taking. And then to throw a little bit of a monkey wrench into this under law in most states, if you have a permanent taking, you are traditionally not entitled in most states to business losses. And there's a whole set of reasons for that. But you are in Virginia. If there's a temporary taking, there's United States Supreme Court law that says you get business losses. Right. So what if there's an abandonment and the circumstances of that abandonment or cancellation, what you want to call it, amount to a temporary taking? Does the property owner get business losses too? I think it's an open question and I would certainly want that issue to be explored in any issues that might be presented to my clients about that because I think it's an open issue. There are so many different levels of this to examine, and one of it is, is it a responsible or irresponsible cancellation? And we can debate what's responsible and what's irresponsible. And if it's because of cost, is it because the agency didn't do their due diligence or they didn't have the money? Or is it activists getting involved running the cost of the project? And then how much of the, is there a quick take or a slow take? And then how much of the property, if any, has been disturbed? To me, there's so many different things to examine here. I don't think there's a one size fits all solution to it. I agree. So, all right. Well, 
We are just about out of time. Any parting thoughts you have for our listeners? This has been a great discussion. I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you writing the article in the Right Away magazine in July and August, or the July and August edition. And you've been a great sport. Any parting words? I got the opening shot. You can have the closing shot. I just thought we were going to talk a little bit more about music since it filters into so many of your podcasts. (laughs) But I have to say I'm a little disappointed. But otherwise, it's been great fun, and I really appreciate it the opportunity to be with you both. Well, I think you're going to have to come back and we'll talk some more music. How about that? We would love to. And say say hi to Billy Squire. I think he's up in your neck of the woods. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, he's not my guy, but that's okay. He's not my guy either. (laughs) He could be. He could be. All right, Tony. Thanks so much. We appreciate the time. Thanks, Tony. Thank you both. Really enjoyed it. Okay, this is uh, Colin Smith from the Compulsory Purchase Association in London. Uh, I'm having a great time at the RWA 68th International Education Conference in Cleveland, Ohio. And this is actually my seventh international education conference. My very first one was in Indianapolis in 2009. Over and out.